So this week we've got the RBA, the Fed, the Bank of England. Oh, and we've got a US election as well. Did you hear about that? There's also Brexit talks continuing as well all this week with rising infection numbers, more economies being locked down. We've got equities tumbling. We've got a bond sell-off. Apart from that, well, it's a bit of a quiet start to the week. Is this really how November is supposed to start? It's Monday, the 2nd of November 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Yep, it's going to be quite a week, isn't it? Uh, Friday finished without much movement in the US dollar, but it was 1.2% down over the week. US stocks had a bad end to the week. The Nasdaq lost 2.5% on Friday, down 5.5% over the whole week. The S&P 500 had the worst week since March, down 5.6%. The ASX 200 was also down, losing 3.9% over the week. The Eurostox 50, which held its own on Friday, was down a massive 7.5% across the week. And the Aussie dollar didn't do much on Friday, but it was down down 1.6% over the week. And we had big movements in bonds as well. 10-year Treasury yields up five basis points on Friday, up to almost 0.88%, having dipped to 0.76% middle of the week. That is a 12 basis point rise in just a few days. Oil finished the week down. WTI just above $35. That's almost down $5 a barrel in a week. And that uncertainty that we saw is all being shown by the VIX index, hovering below 30 in September and for the first half of October, but hitting 40 last week. It's still up at uh, 38 and a new month and a hell of a week ahead of us. The US election, the FOMC meeting, the RBA, the Bank of England, uh, COVID running rampant, more lockdowns, the Brexit clock ticking. Rodrigo Cotrill is here to start the week off. There is more uncertainty generally, but uh, more certainty, uh, a blue wave running through the US election, yet equities taking such a big hit. Some of that, of course, is uh, is earnings results. So, I mean, the, the figures were very good in terms of uh, revenue and earnings from uh, from the big players last week. Uh, but it was the uh, it was the guidance that was uh, that was scaring the markets a bit. Morning, Phil. Yeah, that's quite right. So um, when we look at the performance of the US and European equities on Friday, there's a distinct um, uh, differentiation in terms of how performance was done. Equity markets in particular in the US uh, declines were led by, by the big tech companies, uh, as you say, Apple, Amazon, uh, Facebook, um, all, um, you know, painting a, a pretty concerning picture in terms of the outlook, not, not as rosy as previously. And then that certainly um, affected their shares and, and dragged the, the tech uh, index, the Nasdaq down as well. Um, but as you mentioned as well, um, there's growing concerns around um the increasing number of infections. Um, the U.S. recorded a, a record level on Thursday and then beat that record um, um, on, on Friday. So uh, there's certainly a big concern around there. And, and to some extent, kind of bubbling in the background, you, you could also add that now we've seen European countries introduce massive lockdowns. The U.K. introduced lockdowns over the weekend. Um, and uh, one has to, one, the market has to be wondering whether if this pace continues in the U.S., um, you know, does sort of lockdowns will have to be reintroduced in the US as well. So the, the virus itself is a concern as well. And, and that concern is probably shifting a little bit away from Europe, which is kind of priced to the US, which is not yet priced because the, politically the appetite for lockdowns is not very high. Uh, but that may well change after Tuesday or Wednesday all the time. Well, yeah, because the, the numbers are very concerning, aren't they? The US seven day average now over 81,000 from 35,000 in the middle of September. And the UK, the reason why they had to go to a national 
international lockdown because they were then they're averaging 23,000 uh, cases a day now. Uh, so they're extending that furlough scheme, which just ended, of course, at the end of October. Uh, there was one MP in the UK who was questioned on TV over the weekend saying uh, that because this lockdown is supposed to go till the 1st of December, asked whether it could continue beyond that. And he said, yeah, with the numbers don't improve, it will. So they could be in lockdown for a while. So none of that is looking particularly good, which is why... Uh, you know, you can look at uh, Facebook revenue up 22% year on year, active users up 14%, Amazon year on year growth of 37%, Google 14%. Okay, Apple let the side down, only 1% growth, but all, you know, all of those astounding figures, and yet the share prices are down. Yes, yes, they, they are down, and it's more to do with uh, the outlook rather than the, the current sort of um, yeah. uh, numbers. And, and to some extent, there's a lot of uncertainty for them, uh, as it is for us in terms of what to expect. Um, and, and many of sort of you like low-hanging fruits from the gains of, of the lockdowns so of, of people staying at home may not be repeated again in the next 12 to 6 months. So we've got equities being sold off in the US, but... But Treasury is being sold off as well. I mean, the obvious question is, where's the money going right now? Under the mattress? <laughs> well, um, there's a general sense uh, that uh, because of the election being so uncertain and because of the big swings that we got uh, in the last election, given you know the market was sort of pricing for Hillary Clinton to win and then we got Trump winning and then the market was struggling to, to really agree on what, what it actually meant for a Trump win, what it meant for markets. So um, there's a lot of sense that this time around uh, investors are, are kind of not going to bet on the outcome in advance and they may well look to take the, um, their positions as and when the, the, the outcome is known. So um, it seems fair to suggest that a lot of money has gone into cash. Uh, but at the same time, um, the interesting thing to note, as you say, is that typically U.S. Treasury yields are treated or tend to be like a safe haven assets. Uh, you tend to perform well um, when you see increasing volatility and underperformance in equity markets. But this time around, last week in particular, hasn't been the case. Um, and to some extent, uh, one of the arguments is, is that uh, the market is increasing the, the chances of a Biden win. A Biden win means that you will certainly get a much bigger fiscal stimulus. and The, the U.S. doesn't have the money to fund the stimulus. So therefore, it also means a huge amount of U.S. Treasury issuance. And therefore, you see this move up in yields. So it's the risk positive aspect, but it also means more issuance, and that's what's lifting yields higher. But saying that, um, at the same time, there's a lot of concerns around what it all means from from a, a, a sort of performance for, for treasuries beyond the next week, and, and certainly there's a lot of concern there that... Um, you know, the, the, the huge amount of issues will, will be an ongoing sort of theme for, for the next year for, for, for the U.S. Treasury market. So that's where the Fed comes in and that's where the Fed decision this week could be of some interest. Um, you know, the, the market and service that have run by Bloomberg, for instance, suggest the market is not expecting any announcement whatsoever in terms of the uh, quantity easing or the amount of bonds they're buying. Well, it would be a strange thing to time to do, wouldn't it, just after the election? I mean, presumably they are going to hold off to December. But they did do something on Friday lowered the loan size for their Main Street lending program. So they are trying to help out uh, small businesses and do what they can, basically, you know, appreciating the fact the economy is really struggling. 
Yes, and, and the program itself, which is sort of the Main Street program uh, geared to small and medium uh, businesses, hasn't been very successful. There's not a lot, a lot of appetite from companies and not a lot of appetite from banks to actually increase that lending. So they want to provide a, a bit of a, a sweetener or a bigger sweetener for, for, for that to happen. Um, but at the same time, just to reemphasize this point, we've seen U.S. Treasury equity, 10-year Treasury yields now trading at 87. That's the highest level. It's, it's kicked from a technical perspective. It's moved above to 200-day moving average, which hasn't happened since 2018. So this move up in U.S. Treasury yields will become a concern for the Fed. Mm. Uh, and that, if anything, could be an interesting topic for, for the meeting this week. Right. Uh, and of course, that topic will be uh, uh, guided by whatever the election result is. The betting site 530A now has the chances of a Biden victory at 90%. There's a Wall Street Journal poll out this morning, uh, which still has a 10-point lead for Biden. That's not really changed. Uh, so, And of course, we don't know uh, if we're going to know the answer this week. The Wall Street Journal uh, is today reporting top election official, I think this is for Pennsylvania, cautions it could take days for vote count. So we may, it could be a very frustrating week, couldn't it? Um, I think that that's a very good uh, bet, if, if anything. There's a lot of key states um, that uh, will det- are likely to determine the outcome. And, and many of them, like Michigan, for instance, Alabama, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, they don't start counting the votes uh, prior to, to the election. Uh, I think Michigan actually starts one day, but the other ones don't. So um, because there's been a huge amount of, of voting that has occurred in, ahead of, of the election, yeah, in addition to also the postal voting, uh, then it means that uh, potentially they're, they're not going to actually be able to count them all um, uh, on time. There's, a, there's an interesting thing about that, because when you vote by the post, and there's a lot more checking of that yeah. vote uh, before you actually count it, like for instance, IDs and so on. So uh, that makes it very slow. And that's why uh, we may know, I think it's quite right that we may not know the outcome unless uh, Biden is winning, you know, very strongly in in some of the states that we know we will get an outcome on the day, such as Florida uh, and and so on. So, um, yeah, we need to be prepared for for a a a prolonged period of uncertainty. There's going to be a a lot of frustrated uh, newspaper editors uh, who've got that front page ready with a picture of uh, Donald Trump with your fire. Uh, written across the front page. See that already. If I was going to call today's podcast "Markets Biden Their Time," but I thought better of it. Uh, look behind it all, though. I mean, even when we've got all this uncertainty going on, um, you know, on the positive side, the numbers generally are looking very good. So, U.S. personal spending for September up one point four percent. Of course, that's for September, which seems a long time ago. And then we look over to Europe, GDP for Q3 up 12.7% after that 11.8% fall in Q2. That feels like quite a strong climb back. But again, you know, this is all old news, of course. And, you know, maybe we've moved on from there because the infections are rising so much. Again, this is all just a bit of history. Yeah, unfortunately, the, it does kind of feel like that, uh, particularly in terms of the data coming from, from Europe. We know those lockdowns are now here, and therefore we need to be ready for, you know, a, a, a not a strong Q4 and potentially a negative Q4 print. Um, same time, the, the interesting thing of spending in, in the US is that savings have remained steady. So it suggests that the market or consumers have remained very cautious. Um, and of course, we know that there's no income support either. So um, that that doesn't paint a good picture for for spending uh, over over Q4, particularly if there's no stimulus that, that comes yep. uh, during Q4 as well. Yeah. Now, China though continue to produce uh, strong data. The PMIs over the weekend were a demonstration of that. Although the manufacturing number actually down a little on September, so maybe things are stalling in China as well. Um, a little bit. I mean, the, in terms of the the numbers, the manufacturing sector was little changed from fifty one point. 
51.5 to 51.4, so very little change, a small slowdown there. The, the services sector remains very buoyant, again, uh, rising to 56.2 from 55.9. So so it's good numbers, solid numbers. I mean, I suppose when you look at the details, that the one interesting thing is that the, the employment uh, subcomponent or index wasn't very strong. And also there was a distinction between how big companies and small companies are doing. So um, it, it shows a little bit of weakness on, on the smaller company side. So, so that's certainly a thing to a thing to to keep an eye on over the coming months. Yeah, that seems to be a pattern the world over, doesn't it? The big companies seem to be surviving somewhat better uh, than the small guys. Look, we get the Cajun PMI for China today. We also get US ISM manufacturing, and for for Australia, building approvals and house prices, and of course the RBA tomorrow as well. Do you want to say something about that before we finish off today? Yes, certainly. I think a lot of focus, of course, overseas around the election, but for Australia, the RBA will be very, very important. Uh, the market is gearing for uh, rate cuts. Um, uh, both not only in terms of the cash rate but the, the three-year target uh, and also the TFF um, but interestingly the, the big focus will be on whether or not the, the RBA announces uh, an official increase to quantitative easing to, to the longer end of the curve um, many market participants expected the RBA to give a quantity to, to that target um, um, we think that it, it will focus more on um, a commitment to keeping longer data yields uh, uh, low or, or in par with other global yields around the globe. So that, that will be very interesting and, and it will also be very interesting to show how much commitment the RBA has to that quantity easing program. Well, well, we don't have to wait too long for that. Dewey, uh, we'll find out tomorrow. Good to talk for today, though. Catch you soon, Rodrigo. Okay. And that's it. Uh, the morning call for this Monday morning. Stay with us all this week. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you tomorrow morning.